Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Chapter 5 of A Wizard of Earthsea is entitled The Dragon of Pendor. And actually, we have multiple dragons being dealt with, you could say, in that chapter. And Ged, or Sparrowhawk, the main character of the novel, is the one who is going to go out to do battle and to bargain with the dragon and the dragons. This is how he's going to earn the title Dragon Lord, which doesn't mean a master of dragons in Earthsea, but rather a human being who has some interactions with dragons, dragons will speak to them, and who doesn't die in the process. Dragons are going to play an incredibly important role in the Grand Earthsea narrative, particularly as we move into um, the later novels. Already by the third novel, it's going to be a major important theme. Here in A Wizard of Earthsea, the dragons are essentially a threat. They are a monster to be dealt with, but a very cunning and intelligent monster as we're going to see. I do want to point out one other thing about this before we look at the chapter. This takes up a narrative from the earlier Earthsea, we could say standalone story, The Rule of Names. It's the same dragon, as it's going to turn out, who is named in both of these. And it has to do with the same island community, the same island, you might even say empire, that of Pendor. The Pendorians are not missed when the dragon comes in and takes them over. So that's important to keep in mind. And where does this story actually take place? Well, it does take place in part on Pendor, or rather in the waters right off of Pendor, because Ged is not going to step foot onto the island as such. That would be a a real mistake for him. But it's also happening in these islands, the 90 Isles, and in particular, the community of Low Torning. So how does Ged arrive there? Well, let's look at the description first. West of Roke, in a crowd between the two great lands, Hosk and Ensmer, lie the 90 Isles. The nearest to Roke is Surd, the farthest is Sepish, which lies almost in the Pelinish Sea. And whether the sum of them is 90 is a question never settled, for if you count only Isles with freshwater springs, you might have 70. If you count every rock, you might have 100 and still not be close. And then the tide would change. Narrow run the channels between the islets, and there the mild tides of the inmost sea, chafed and baffled, run high and fall low, so that where at high tide there might be three islands in one place, at low there might be one. So these are people who live on these islands. And as she goes on, there are few bridges and no great towns. Every islet is thick with farms and fishermen houses, and these are gathered into townships, each of 10 or 20 islets. One such, one such township, was Low Torning, the westernmost, looking not on the inmost sea, but outward to empty ocean, that lonely corner of the archipelago where only Pendor lies, the dragon-spoiled isle, and beyond it the waters of the west reach, desolate. So Ged arrives there, 
And these are islands that are, as she's saying, outlooking Pendor and the rest of the great ocean that the archipelago is set within. And so these are the people most in danger should the dragon or dragons ever start coming eastward and looking for something. And it, as it so happens, that's what's going on. Now, there's a great line here. There was little cause, perhaps, for pride in this first magistry of Ged's. Rope-trained wizards are usually going to famous places. But this is a case where there is need. And Ged has talent, and he's also been scarred by his experience. So the fishermen of low Torning, in the usual way of things, would have had among them no more than a witch or a plain sorcerer. But in late years, the old dragon of Pendor had spawned. Nine dragons, it was said, now laired in the ruined towers of the sea lords of Pendor, dragging their scaled bellies up and down the marble stairs and through the broken doorways there. Wanting food on that dead isle, they would be flying forth some year when they were grown and hunger came upon them. Already a flight of four had been seen over the southwest shores of Hosk, not alighting but spying out the sheepfolds, barns, and villages. The hunger of a dragon is slow to wake, but hard to sate. So the islemen of Lotorning had sent to rope, begging for a wizard to protect their folk from what boded over the western horizon, and the archmage had judged their fear well-founded. There is no comfort in this place, the archmage had said to Ged on the day he made him wizard. No fame, no wealth, perhaps no risk. Will you go? Ged says, I will go. And not from obedience only. Since uh, the night on Roke Knoll, his desire had turned as, as much against fame and display as it had been set on them. Always now he doubted his strength and dreaded the trial of his power. Yet the talk of dragons drew with him a great curiosity. In Gaunt, there had been no dragons for many hundred years, and no dragon would ever fly within center spell of Roke. So that there they also are a matter of tales and songs only, of things sung but not seen. Ged wants to see this sight of these fabulous creatures that are so important, as it turns out, in Earthsea and what's going on. So Ged is being sent there to be a protector. He's, he's essentially like the equivalent of anti-aircraft guns or something like that, you know, providing the local people some power against these fearsome creatures that are going to otherwise do them in and inevitably will start preying upon them, burning their land, taking their cattle, killing them off. So Ged is sent there and Ged has a mission. What we find out, however, is that Ged actually has two enemies. He has the dragons, who he's supposed to watch for and ward off, and then he has the shadow. And he's gone from Roke, where he was protected, to a place where now he has to set up defenses. And this leads to an important decision on his part. He starts having bad dreams about the shadow. And this is after he's become long established with these villagers. He set up what barriers of sorcery could about his house and about the isle where he lived. Such spell walls must ever be renewed. And soon he saw if he spent all his strength on these defenses, he would be of no use to the islanders. What could he do between two enemies if a dragon came from Pendor? So this is interfering with his main mission, which is to protect these islanders from the dragons. So he comes to a decision. And this is quite interesting. Instead of simply fleeing, he says, well, 
let me take on the one enemy I know I can deal with best, the dragons. And so this seems very hopeless. This seems like a crazy thing. As a matter of fact, some of the villagers do in fact see him that way. So he goes to the villagers and tells the head aisle man, I must leave this place. I am in danger. I put you in danger. I must go. Therefore, I ask your leave to go out and do away with the dragons on Pendor so that my task for you will be finished and I may leave freely. Or if I fail, I should fail also when they come here. And that is better known now than later. So this is actually good reasoning, isn't it? I've got to take care of this problem. Why don't I, as we say, grab the bull by the horns or the dragon by the tooth and take him on? If I manage to pull it off, we're done here, right? If I don't manage to pull it off, I wouldn't have managed to pull it off when they showed up here later on. Better to know ahead of time. Then maybe Rope can send another wizard or a bunch of wizards or we can fortify things. Either way, it's a win-win for you villagers. <laughs> Again, doesn't say it in those business terms, but that's what's going on. So the Islemen stared at him. Lord Sparrowhawk, there are nine dragons out there. Eight are still young, they say, but the old one. I tell you I must go from here. I ask your leave to rid you of the dragon peril first, if I can do so. As you will, sir, the Isle Man said gloomily. All that listened there thought this a folly or a crazy courage in their young wizard. Now, why? The next paragraph we read, For four generations of men, all ships had set their course to keep far from the shores of Pendor Island. No mage had ever come to do combat with the dragon there, for the island was on no traveled sea road, and its lords had been pirates, slave takers, war makers, hated by all that dwelt in the southwest parts of Earthsea. For this reason, none had sought to revenge the lord of Pendor after the dragon came suddenly out of the west upon him, and his men where they sat feasting in the tower and smothered them with the flames of his mouth and drove all the townsfolk screaming into the sea. Unavenged, Pendor had been left to the dragon with all its bones and towers and jewels stolen from long dead princes of the coasts of Palm and Hosk. So this is actually part of the backstory that we found in the rule of names, right? Where the last of the sea lords of Pendor, their descendants, is there confronting what he believes to be a wizard, which turns out to be the dragon of Pendor. And the Pendorians are, you know, like Leguin points out, not loved, not regretted, but it is a dangerous place. And... She goes on and she says, All this Ged knew well, and more, for ever since he came to Lotorning, he'd held in mind and pondered over all he'd ever learned of dragons. And he sails out there, and then there's something interesting that takes place. As the day passed, his impatience turned from fear, which is legitimate to feel when you're going to deal with dragons, to a kind of glad fierceness. At least he sought this danger of his own will. And the nearer he came to it, the more sure he was that for this time, at least, for this hour perhaps before his death, he was free. The shadow dared not follow him into a dragon's jaws. So this is a foolhardy, perhaps, quest, adventure. But it is also something that frees get up for the first time in a long time. What happens well, the young dragons who may have been hatched by the great dragon of Pandor, or as Laguin suggests, maybe there was a she-dragon who came there, left the eggs, you know, laid them, and then took off, and the great dragon took care of, of them. Interestingly, the great dragon will say, you've killed some of my sons, so either they're 
genetically related or by adoption, we don't really know, right? There's a lot of that's mysterious about dragons here. The young dragons have hatched and they are ready to do battle and Ged challenges them. He says, Usurper of Pendor, come defend your horde, right? And we see dragons flitting up and Ged says, go tell the old one to come, you windworm. For this is one of the young dragons spawned there years ago by a she-dragon from the West Reach who had set her clutch of great leathern eggs. We don't actually know whether this is the case or not. The young dragon made no answer. He was not large of his, of a, of his kind, maybe the length of a 40-oared ship. So imagine a ship that that can have 40 oars, right? So 20 banks of oars on either side. So a fairly longish ship. He had not got his growth yet, nor his voice, nor any dragon cunning. He came right at Ged. And what does Ged do? Bind his wings and stiff with one sharp spell and set him hurtling into the sea like a stone falling, which kills him, which drowns him effectively. Two other young dragons come at him and he does the same thing, basically pulling them out of the sky, dropping them into the sea and drowning them there. Then the fight gets a little bit trickier. And after a little time, there came against him three from the island. One of these was much greater and fire spewed curling from its jaws. So we have another dragon here that could be the dragon of Pandor. It's, it's actually called that for a moment here. Well, that's being misrecognized. Why is it bigger than its compatriots? We don't know. <laughs> Again, they're not being told that. And uh, two came flying at him, rattling their wings, but the big one came circling from behind very swift to burn him and his boat with its breath of fire. No binding spell would catch all three because two came from north and one from the south. In the instant he saw this, Ged worked a spell of changing and between one breath and the next flew up from his boat in dragon form. And what we see here is an aerial duel between dragons being depicted where Ged kills the two younger dragons and wounds the other dragon, which goes off. And then Ged immediately goes back into his boat, transforming, covered with dragon blood, with his hands burnt. And now we're, we're at the, you might say, climax of the story. Ged yells, Six I have seen, five slain, nine are told of, come out worms. And then something happens. No creature moved nor voice spoke for a long while on the island, but only the waves beat loudly on the shore. Then Ged was aware that the highest tower slowly changed its shape, bulging out on one side as if it grew an arm. What he had taken for a part of the tower was the shoulder of the true dragon of Pandor as he uncurled his bulk and lifted himself slowly up. Ged has to avoid looking into his eyes because if you do that, the dragon has you. And then the dragon says, Eight sons I had, little wizard. Five died, one dies, enough. You will not win my horde by killing them. And now we get to the point where there's going to be some banter and some bargaining. And the question is, well, what does Ged actually want? And Ged says something really interesting here a little bit later. It's very seldom that dragons ask to do men favors. And the dragon says, but it is very common for cats to play with mice before they kill them. Ged then says, I did not come here to play or to be played with. I came to strike a bargain with you. And then the dragon says, I strike no bargains. I take. What have you to offer? I cannot take from you when I like. Ged does have an ace in the hole, so to speak. He's got something that is going to give him power. Before that, though, we've got this question. Well, what does Ged want? Does he want the riches 
of Pendor, part of the horde. The dragon actually offers him at one point, you may choose nine stones from my horde. The best, take your choice, take them and go. And he says, where is, when Ged turns it down, where is men's greed gone? Men love bright stones in the old days in the north. So it's not riches that Ged wants. The dragon then offers him something much more tempting. The dragon says, you are being dogged by a being that you can't deal with. This shadow of yours, he says, if you could name it, you could master it, maybe, little wizard. Maybe I could tell you its name when I see it close by. And it will come close if you wait about my aisle. It will come wherever you come. And if you do not want it to come close, you must run and run and keep running from it. And yet it will follow you. Would you like to know its name? Knowing its name would give Gad power over it. And Gad actually reflects. How the dragon knew the shadow he had loosed, he could not guess, nor how it might know the shadow's name. The archmage had said the shadow had no name. Yet dragons have their own wisdom, and they are an older race than man. Few men can guess what a dragon knows and how he knows it, and those few are the dragon lords. So could he give Ged a resolution to the problem that has been plaguing him? He perhaps could. Ged says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm going to offer you safety. I'm not going to kill you, dragon. And you, in turn, are going to make a bargain, make a promise, make a deal that you're never going to fly out of your domain and attack the isles of human beings. You're going to leave the archipelago alone. And the dragon says, okay, how are you going to do this? And Ged says, I know your name, Yavod. The same name that we found in the rule of names this is how we know it's the same dragon, right? And the dragon, maybe it could, even though Ged knows its name, not be totally mastered and, and kill Ged, but it would probably suffer greatly in the process. And so the dragon says, uh, all right, you got me there. I will make that deal. And notice that Ged has to waver between a choice. There's a key line here. It was not his own life he bargained for. One mastery and only one could he hold over the dragon. He set hope aside and did what he must do. And so he has Yavod swear by your name. You and your sons will never come to the archipelago. And Yavod says, I swear it by my name. And then that's the end of it. Ged has become a dragon lord. Ged has also done something that could have been incredibly beneficial to him. He puts that aside and does something for the greater good of all the human beings in the archipelago. And this is how Ged becomes another one of the dragon lords. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.